Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, wrestling fans. Welcome to the second edition of Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast. Uh, tonight we'll be discussing the Mid-Atlantic uh, Territory. Uh, and as a special uh, an- announcement, I have a co-host, Kyle. Say hello. Hello, fans and Steve. Great event tonight. Getting to talk about your favorite, the famous Jim Crockett promotions. Oh, absolutely. This is what got me into wrestling. This is the very first territory that I watched, and therefore while it was the only one um, well, at, that I thought I could watch on TV before I was able to actually move into a different house and pick up different channels. And then we got cable, and I was really able to pick up more. But I, Jim Crockett Promotions, Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, will always have a special place in my heart. Uh, because of how good it was, because it's it what got my start. And you just look at the talent that was there and what it eventually evolved and morphed and became uh, later on down the road. This is the exact opposite of what WWF was in the time. This was the wrestling, wrestling promotion. Yes. So if WWF was fake and cartoony, you'd all, tell all your friends that Jim Crockett Promotions, Mid-Atlantic, that they were real. Yep. And even now, when, ironically, you pull up the network, um, and you can actually find some of the old Mid-Atlantic uh, episodes, and some of these were the very ones that I watched, including some of the um, the actual first ones that I watched, because even when I was looking through my notes earlier, I remember the, the first one that I remember watching, the first episode, it had um, Ricky Steamboat, and Dick Slater had some kind of feud going over the U.S. title. And I believe Steamboat had retired, but was coming back, maybe. And Dick Slater was claiming to be champion. Champion, Or actually, I think Dick Slater was champion because he had beat Greg Valentine. But Steamboat came out to the ring while Slater was in a match, and he threw Slater's belt into the trash. And, and I just remember later on Slater's – or walking around the arena going, Steamboat! Steamboat! I I caught uh, Mid-Atlantic after Black Saturday. And when we got cable, we'd get the Superstation, TBS. And being on the West Coast in California, this would come on at 3.05. It was 6.05 for me. um, I had to be at somebody else's house to watch it because we didn't have cable yet. So we would sit on a rainy day and watch two hours of WCW Saturday night or world it was world championship wrestling with, uh, David Crockett, Tony Schiavone, uh, Gordon Soley, and eventually Jim Ross. Yep. Because that's what Georgia championship wrestling, um, that's what it originally was. And then Crockett ended up buying them first. After, of course, um, Black Saturday. And then they more or less took it over. And even though they had bought it, they started pushing the old Georgia guys out a little bit. Not as bad as what they would do later on with some other territories, which, you know, we will cover that. Um, but, yeah, they had the the shows that they had on the Superstation, and they also had uh, there was two shows they had on Saturday mornings, and this is when I was living in North Carolina, so it was all right there in my backyard. 
uh, they had it was one just called Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling, and the other show was Worldwide Wrestling. Worldwide Wrestling, yes. And Mid Atlantic Wrestling was hosted by Bob Cottle, and Worldwide Wrestling was also hosted by David Crockett. And I could I could even tell you the champions, you know, who all was holding the belts, uh, all the belts that they had at the time. Um, of course, I already talked about um, the U.S. champion was um, Ricky Steamboat. He ended up getting the belt, but he lost it to Wahoo because Wahoo was doing a heel turn at the time, and he was kind of teasing a heel turn. Well, he was wrestling Wahoo. Totally Blanchard got in the ring with a chair, swung it at Steamboat, hit Wahoo. You know, but Wahoo pinned him, pinned Steamboat anyway, took the title, but then they stripped it from him. And then they had a tournament, and then he won it back anyway in the tournament because he beat the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez in the final for the for the U.S. belt. It, it's funny you mentioned Manny Fernandez because my first memory of watching Mid-Atlantic Wrestling was him in a tag team with Rick Rude. And if you remember, they had uh, Precious Paul Jones. Number one Paul Jones. Number one Paul Jones. Number one Paul Jones. Their manager. And they came out to uh, We Will Rock You. Yep. And, and not a good wrestling song for a for an entrance, but definitely unique. And I remember them challenging the Rock and Roll Express on a tape delay where they, yep. uh, they won the titles on Saturday Night Wrestling. What, what a distinguishing trait of Jim Crockett promotions, tag team wrestling. You know, I actually remember uh, um, Manny Fernandez and Rick Rhodes, I remember their finishing move. Because their finishing move was one of the weakest, hokiest finishing moves I, I think I've ever seen. Rude would hold him up on his shoulders, and Manny would jump up and give him like a quick backhand fist upside the head, and that was it. That was our finishing move. Hey, from the bar fight <laughs> stories of Manny Fernandez, that is a lethal punch. Oh, I'm pretty sure Manny Fernandez is double tough. But just for but, the way they did it, it just. I was like that's that's weak sauce, especially considering those two as much talent as what they have had, and I mean they could have come up with something a little bit better. But let let let's go with that tag team wrestling. You had the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, the Russians, the Road Warriors, the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, the Lightning Express. The Lightning Express. I'm trying to remember who the Lightning Express was. And um, Tim Horner, Terry Taylor. That may. That's a different version, different federation. Yeah, because I remember Tim Horner was White Lightning. But they had the the Lightning Express, the Varsity Club. Oh, the, I got I got some other teams for you that. Um, this might show a little bit of an age difference. The Zambui Express. Oh my gosh. Um, the Sheep Herders. Love the Sheep Herders. I was not a fan of the Bushwhackers, but love the Sheep Herders. Remember, uh, did they wrestle the Fantastics where they just bled? Well, it, it, when you take the ropes and you wrap them in barbed wire, that tends to happen. But Johnny Ace in the in the background. 
with, with the sheep herders. That's Remember right. Watching he, was the, that. he was their flag bearer. That's right. But, um, but Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, just the tag teams. All the, the assassins. Yeah, do you remember the assassins? Uh, the assassins, ah, of course, my the Steiners. Yep. Doom. But um, two titles here, Steve. Uh, you had the world championship, and then something they don't do anymore: the United States Tag Team Championship. And you know what's weird? At that time, when I first started watching it, they actually didn't have U.S. tag team uh, holders. They actually came up with that. They've had them in the past, but they didn't at that point, and then they added them again later on. What what a brilliant way to build lower-card tag teams. Well, not only that, but I mean, I think you should always build some kind of hierarchy as far as Okay, this is your champion. Who's your number one contender? Well, it's going to be, you know, the world title, the number one contender was automatically whoever was holding the U.S. belt. You know, so it makes sense. Okay, the tag team title holder. Oh, well, it was just a tag team. Well, later on, thankfully, they added the U.S. title because I remember I learned that the Russians actually held them first that I can remember. And then Ronnie Garvin and Barry Windham actually won those titles. Yeah, they mentioned, oh, it's the first time they've ever been a team, and then they're going for a title shot. Like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, this is, you know, kid me, you know, 13, 14-year-old me, you know, trying to throw logic in there. You know, why do they get a title shot when they have never even wrestled as a team before? Um, But they won it. And then later on, I know the Midnights had the titles because they ended up beating um, Tully and Arn for the world title. So they had both belts for a while. I mean, the, the U.S. titles, not only did they look unique, but the teams that feuded over that, those championships was absolutely uh, amazing in history. They headlined um, Starcade. They headlined house shows. The, the second-tier title in Mid-Atlantic meant something. And and, I'm trying to think. Weren't, one of the Starcades, weren't they being um, defended? I want to say it was the Kansas City Jayhawks. See, I see you remember that team, uh, which was Dutch Mantel and Bobby Jaggers against Billy Jack Haynes and Wahoo McDaniel. And I want to say they were feuding over the U.S. tag belts, even though I may have to do a little bit more research. I may be wrong about that, you know, but I I, I want to say that that was part of it. I mean, just absolutely amazing to think about. And switching the United States championship. And I remember watching in in the military dorms the very first Starcade with Greg the Hammer Valentine and Rowdy Piper in oh, the man, dog collar match. That match got nasty. And <laughs> oh, 
Oof. And wasn't Magnum TA and Tully Blankshirt with the um, the, I quit the railroad match. spike? Yeah, that was at Starcade '85. The I quit and match. That, that was for the United States Championship. The the second tier, like like you mentioned, everything had a hierarchy. Um, the Magnum GA and Tully Blanchard, the that I quit match in the cage. I mean, I remember that entire build. It had been coming up since um, that summer with the Great American Bash. Um, Baby Doll was still with Tully at the time, and she had actually she she was up um, for grabs, basically. I mean, and I know you could never get away with this today. Um, Dusty beat Tully for um well he just beat Tully. Um and when he did actually he may have beaten him for the T V title again. You know, of course when Dusty had it he changed it to the world T V title, but that's neither here nor there. Um he beat Tully and when he won the T V title, he also won the services of Baby Doll for thirty days. Yep. And during those thirty days where Tully wrestled Magnum and, you know, all of a sudden this female cop with her, her, you know, kind of a tall female cop with her blonde hair pulled up in, in her police hat. And because they all wear their hats indoors and he walked up, gave Tully, you know, some kind of foreign object and bam, he knocked out Magnum. And now he's the U.S. title holder. And they fought over that and fought. And then they finally decided to have the I quit match. And I can still watch that match today and go, you know, the, the matches today, it, it's going to be hard to top that one because that one, I mean, you, it just looked real. It The, the match is legendary and, and could have – imagine that on a WrestleMania card. Like, Starcade was the, the Mid-Atlantic main event for the year. Yeah. But you have WrestleMania over two days this year. And that would have headlined both nights and been the best match on the card. And you can't say that about a lot of wrestling from the past. It's two different eras. Same night, um, in fact, in the exact same cage, which that's something, well, remember, I was going to say they don't do that now. But back then, it was considered rare to have two cage matches on the same night. Um, the Rock and Roll Express beat the Russians for the tag titles again, but they did it inside a cage. Well, why not? The the Russians, um, depending on what version you caught on to. Uh, this so. one, it was Ivan and Nikita in the cage because I was thinking as a kid, oh, no, because they beat – they beat Ivan – when they won the titles the first time, they did it over Ivan and Crusher Khrushchev. Yes. And, you know, who later on became Demolition Smash and then Repo Man and then Blacktop Bully. And, you know, of course, it's Barry Darso, you know, um, a great wrestler. But he had, you know, he had a ton of names. I don't think people realize that because he was Crusher Darso and then Crusher Khrushchev. You know, he was supposed to be a Russian trader. But anyway – uh, back to the original story, um, when the Rock and Rolls beat Ivan and Crusher, and then later on, 
Ivan and Nikita beat the Rock and Rollers because I mean, in the cult, the Russians were using the the Freebird rule, and then they decided to get Ivan and Nikita in the cage. And the story was they asked for this to be in the cage, so if they beat the Russians, there's no question about it. Of course, the cage was to quote unquote keep Crusher Khrushchev out of the ring, keep him from interfering. And they beat him, um, you know, and then they kind of pushed Robert, I'm sorry, they pushed Ricky over the top of the cage and they see to beat the holy hell out of Robert inside the cage. And they, they also knocked out Don Carnoodle. He was also on the outside um, accompanying the rock and rolls. Which is the exact opposite of a normal rock and roll express match because usually it was Ricky Morton. Right. And that man could take a good beating. Oh, yeah. Well, see, this was after the after the match was over. Um, because, see if I remember it right, um, they had the Ricky was in. He tagged Robert. Ivan didn't see it. He threw Robert off the ropes. And when he um, when he backdropped him, as as he came up for the backdrop, Ricky pushed him into the ropes and did the um, the cradle and pinned him. One, two, three. Uh, and then they, you know, they beat up Robert and pushed him again. Of course, everybody had to come out there and kind of save him. Because that was back in the days, you know, when you knew the good guys were, you know, the bad guys were, because if the good guys were getting beat up, the other good guys would come save them. Now they have, like, 20 people in referee costumes. Well, they, there, there is no good guy and bad guy. Everyone's kind of in between. Just like yeah. there's 50-50 booking, there's no real winner or loser. And, and that's part of the reason wrestling is so different today. I well, remember... Mid-Atlantic, uh, with trios, the the six-man championships. Yeah, the Road Warriors and, and Dusty held it for a long time, and then the Russians and, held it for a long time. The Russians, uh, I remember the Road Warriors and Dusty. I remember when the Road Warriors turned on Sting. Because I would have been like eight, eight or nine when this happened. And yeah, that's... That's why I got Dusty fired. And they beat Sting to a pulp that night. Right before that, you remember uh, the Road Warriors and the Powers of Pain. And they did the bench press competition. Yes, and they dropped the weights on probably Hawk. Because Hawk usually, he usually, was it Animal? It was Animal because Animal had a busted up eye. And... They b- dropped the weights on him, beat him up with the plate, and he wore the the eye patch. And well, was that, animal was the bencher. Was that in Mid Atlantic or was that in WWF? No, that was Mid Atlantic. That was um, the bench press competition would have been late '87 or early '88 before the sale. Okay. But as a kid, the, just looking at it, Mid Atlantic looks so real. Well, they, they didn't they have. Did. They, well, sometimes they would have mats outside the ring, but they weren't real thick. You know, it was concrete or it was a gymnasium floor, because that's actually something now. When I watch the old stuff, you know, from Mid Atlantic, I look and go, "Huh, there's a basketball hoop back there." Yeah, <laughs> or, it's in a high school gym. Watch a watch a Mid Atlantic match from 1984, and you're looking at 
Ole and Gene Anderson and tell me you'd want to get in a fight with one of them too? Uh, no. Um, in fact, that, you know, speaking of the uh, Andersons, my first recollection of Ole Anderson was actually having to deal with the Russians because when I first started watching um, Ivan Koloff and Don Kernoodle were the tag team champs. Um, and they got beat in a cage by Dusty and Manny Fernandez. Um, because one of the things that that Manny did during that match that it never gets any kind of mention whatsoever, Manny did a knee drop from the top of the cage onto Ivan. Yeah, and you can find the match. I've seen it on YouTube. You can actually find the match, and you can see him come down and bam. But, see, they talk about Jimmy Superfly. They talk about Kurt Angle doing the moonsault, you know, Benoit doing the, the flying head. Manny always gets forgotten. But, and after that match, of course, Nikita by this time had joined them. You know, he, they were part of the trio. They weren't doing the freeboard rule then. But after the match, they blamed Don Pernoodle. And they beat him right. up. And, you know, and, and his family just happened to be in the, the stands watching. They came out, and his brother was um, – his brother, Rocky Pernoodle, but he was wrestling under the name Keith Larson. You know, well, he wanted revenge on the Russians. And so he, um, he said, I want a match against him and Don Pernoodle because he was on crutches, you know, wink, wink. And, well, they said he's – you know, Keith Larson has to find a partner. Turned out to be Ole Anderson. And so they fought them in Starcade, and they still lost. I don't remember how they lost, but they still lost. You know, so then it just kind of more or less ended. And then Ole joined Arn. Okay, that's when Arn came in. And uh, he, um, and actually at that same Starcade, that was in 1984, and Flair was a world champ. In the Mid-Atlantic area, he was a face. Right. And everywhere else, I didn't know this until I started buying the magazines, everywhere else he was a heel. But in Mid-Atlantic, he was a face. And for Starcade 84, all of a sudden it was, well, he's going against Dusty, world title, and also for a million dollars. There was no buildup. It was just, hey, they announced it. The way they announced it was, you know, Flair pulling up a limousine and Dusty challenging him, and it didn't make any sense. Of course, I didn't understand. I didn't know how it all worked back then, and I right. figured out later on. But now I'm looking at it, going, Dusty was one half of the World Tag Team Champs, and he and Manny, it seemed like they rarely defended it. And, they, and eventually, they did lose it, you know, to the Russians, you know, Ivan and Nikita. Um, but Dusty's wrestling for the world title. Manny was wrestling. For the Brass Knuckles Championship, which that's I, a unique championship right there. Yeah, and that's when all of a sudden they would just kind of dust off for a pay per view. They're like, "Hey, man, we need another match. Uh, we need another title." Oh, oh yeah, the Brass Knuckles. Who's, you know, so yeah, they're the Brass Knuckles champion. I was like, "Do what?" <laughs> another random one is where they had Larry Sabisco come in as the Western Heritage Heavyweight Champion. Yes, because he lost to Barry. And you go, well, where the hell did that thing come from? That was supposed to be part of the UWF's titles uh, when, of course, um, when Mid-South had become UWF, and then Crockett said, okay, I'm going to buy UWF too because we're going to merge because if we don't, Vince is going to take over the world. And then they merged, and then they crapped on all the UWF guys except for Sting and Rick Steiner. 
and WWF still took over the world. Your your greatest memory is Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Who was your favorite wrestler? Back Jimmy then? the the Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy Vice. The Boogie Woogie Man. <laughs> you got, I mean, I was ten years old. I mean, and I love the Boogie Woogie Man. I mean, he'd come out, um, and you know he'd just get the crowd going. The crowd just loved him, and he was over. And um, by that point, I, I mean, I didn't know at the time. You know, he was way past his prime, you know. But, I mean, he was still in there, you know. And, and the big angle was him and the assassins. And I think part of it was because the assassins, that mask just looked evil. You know, that yellow mask with the, the black outline around the eyes. that kind of had that point on them. And they were managed by, number one, Paul Jones. Yep. And they got the boogie movie man the ropes, and they cut his beard off. And... Then later on, of course, Boogie, um, he got his revenge because there was three assassins, um, but he took the mask of assassin number two, who turned out to be Hercules Hernandez. I don't, you know, I don't think he, I don't know what he was before he was assassin, but later on, you know, of course, he became Hercules Hernandez. Real name, real name, Ray Fernandez. I don't know. Anyway, um, but yeah, Boogie, what you mean? Yeah, he came out to his, his theme music, and he was one of the few with theme music. Back then, I, they didn't all have it back then. You know, like now, everybody has a, has a theme song. Um, so we we kind of notice here that you you start probably three or four years before I do. Uh, and honestly, I think that's because I'm about three or four years older than you. <laughs> and I think that's yeah, about right. Unless unless you were watching wrestling when you were like three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, because. Yeah, the Boogie Boogie Man was my favorite. Um, I also liked, you know, Manny Fernandez. Uh, actually, my mom, my mom was a big fan of Manny Fernandez uh, and Magnum TA. I think it was the mustaches. Um, <laughs> and, Why don't we call her and ask her? Uh, no. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I, next time I talk to her, I probably I could ask her. But um, in fact, speaking of Magnum, when he got in the car wreck. Um, and this tells you, you know, I mean, how she actually would, you know, she didn't get into it like I did. I mean, she did like Magnum, but, you know, she wouldn't make it a point. Oh, we got to go to watch it. Uh, when Magnum got in his car wreck, she woke me up and told me about it because it was on the news. It was on the, you know, the local news channels. You know, uh, she had the TV turned on while we were eating breakfast. And, you know, she woke me up and she said, hey, Magnum T.A. was in a car wreck. And I said, what are you talking, what? You know, and she said, yeah, he was in a car wreck. Last night. And well, for reference, you being live, growing up in North Carolina, yeah, the the accident was just outside Greensboro, right? Uh, Charlotte. Charlotte. Yep. And what was it? He was driving a Porsche, and yep. excessive speed or poor. It, it was poor excessive. Weather. It was excessive speed for the conditions. Um, and he hit water and he skidded and about wrapped it around the telephone pole. And, and you, you think about that moment. That man was built to be their Hulk Hogan. He was supposed to win the world title. And this is obviously, you know, we're fans. We don't know 
you know, we're not on the inside. This is everything we've read, all the interviews we've listened to and watched. Um, and a lot of wrestlers confirmed this, that he was supposed to be the world champion come the next Starcade. Well, that, that wreck happened in October. Starcade was just over a month away. And, you know, that's when, um, you know, Nikita turned face. Right. You know, he made the uh, superpowers with Dusty Rhodes and the Crockett Cup. Yep. Oh, that's right, because they won. Oh, no, they won the second Crockett Cup. The Road Warriors won the first one. Um, Because Magnum came out during the Crockett Cup, and I want to say, was that the one in New Orleans, or was that one the one in Baltimore? I want to say Magnum was in Baltimore. Because he, I know he transitioned to being an announcer and. Yeah, he never wrestled again. Um, he still has a lot of problems um, with his legs. You know, he has special vehicles he travels in. I mean, he can walk, but I mean, it's it's really extremely painful for him. I mean, it's amazing he's not truly a quadriplegic. Yeah, like if he wasn't built the way he he was. Oh, they, they actually said, the doctor said that. That if he was not in the physical shape that he was in, he would have been killed. And when Magnum first came into Mid-Atlantic, you know, from um, what was Mid-South at the time, um, his matches were lasting 10 seconds, 15 seconds. You know, I remember one on the Superstation, it lasted um, five seconds. Or actually, not it may not have been that long. Because the bell rang, the other dude ran at him. Magnum still had his jacket, and he was U.S. champion at the time, and he still had the belt on. Guy ran at him, Magnum, belly-to-belly, suplex, boom, done. And just a, a, a perfect finisher for him. He, he he would slam everyone with force, another, a real wrestling move. Mm-hmm. And a tremendous miss opportunity for Mid-Atlantic, for Jim Crockett promotions. Yeah, and even in the description for today's episode, um, I say the company made an effort to compete with Vince McMahon while they certainly had the talent, a series of bad decisions, accompanied by tragedy throughout the campaign. Of course, that tragedy would be, you know, the wreck and the career-ending wreck of Magnum TA. You think what could have been. I mean, he... You know, he he was it. He really was. I mean, he would have been champion for a long time. You you transition to that because I mean we're we're spoiled uh, with hindsight. You could have had Magnum oh, and Ric Flair. You would have had Magnum and Dusty. That would have been an interesting dynamic there. Magnum and all the Horsemen. The oh, the heel lineup for him. Yeah, and. I mean, because he did wrestle the Horsemen, but it would have been a lot more. He did actually wrestle Flair a couple times, but we would have seen it a lot more. Um, and the matches would have been classic matches. Because, I mean, you see what he did with Tully. I mean, of course, I mean, Tully, I mean, is, you know, he's one of the most talented guys out there. Um, you know, but you put both of them together in that cage with the I quit stipulation and where they look like, I mean, it, they just wanted to draw blood. And, yeah, it was going to be a great match because both those guys are great wrestlers. And, you know, I just, uh, it is sad to really think about, about Magnum. But, I mean, he's, 
you know, he's also gone, you know, live actually a pretty good life outside of the ring. Very, very successful uh, with the satellite TV business. Yes. And I want to and, say I, he may have also become a minister, at least part-time minister also, um, kind of like, like Tully did and Nikita. Well, Tully does prison ministry. Yep. And Nikita is a full pastor, I want to say, in North Carolina. Uh, even North. I think it might actually be South Carolina for Nikita. And then Magnum T.A. married Tully Blanchard's ex-wife. Ex-wife, yep. And Ashley taught Tessa and helped her when she started out wrestling. Yep. Which and is phenomenal. I mean, and I'm, I'm quite sure, you know, Tully had a little bit of uh, help training her as well. Oh, yeah. No doubt. But, I mean, she's but, very blessed to have, you know, the two of them. And I don't know if you ever actually seen – I've actually, you know, seen um, interviews where the two of them are together, you know, so it's not like there's a lot of animosity um, between the two of them, you know. Well, so surprisingly. Well, Magnum is not the cause of them getting divorced. I mean, now, if that was, that was the case, yeah, there would probably be animosity. But, I mean, he wasn't the case, and both, you know, both of them are grown adults, and um, both of them was, was totally being a minister. You know, he knows you got to move on. You know, you got to forgive. You know, it's time to move on. No sense of hanging on, hanging on to baggage that there's no reason to. But anyway, before we get into, you know, Dr. Phil territory. Um, but the, the Mid-Atlantic, uh, I, I, I start way later than you, of course. So I remember all the tag teams, but I remember seeing this superhuman young upstart from Florida. <laughs> That'd be Lex Lugar down in Florida. Lex Luger. Yeah, then they changed to Luger. And just just looking at him, um, another preacher, motivational yeah. speaker now, but oh my gosh, what did they chisel that man out of when he first started? Luger was one of the ones that I remember seeing on all the magazines. And I will tell you, during our time doing our, this podcast, I will be referencing the magazines a lot because I remember seeing him in the magazines you know, down in Florida. And he had actually wrestled Flair for the title down in Florida because um, you know, he was a heel that he became a face. And then he came up to the Atlantic, and JJ's managing. And I'm like, oh, that, that's that Lugar dude, you know, but he must be a bad guy now because JJ's managing, and he was the associate of the Four Horsemen. Yeah. And I mean, and you do. I mean, even, you know, us being young kids, we could see, okay, a horseman's going to be leaving. Who's it going to be? Oh, looks like it's going to be Oli. Wow. Okay. Look, you know, kind of surprised because Oli was the, like the leader. Um, and he was the older veteran, but okay. Um, Luger, he had a great look. I mean, he really did. Like you said, I mean, what, what did they chisel that man out of? Just at, when, when you first see him, and, and that's the thing about wrestling, is when you click the channel and you see this superhuman on TV, you have to to look. And, and what a perfect finishing move 
a human torture rack. I still love that move, and I really wish somebody would use it now. And it, just thinking about that, um, not his WWF run, not the later WCW, but his early Mid-Atlantic World Championship Wrestling time period, 87. And what I remember is the Bunkhouse Stampede. <laughs> and to all these wrestlers in blue jeans and cowboy boots, like that's absolutely insane to begin with. And come as you are, and you see Lex Luger in spandex workout pants and an old workout top and the four horsemen, Arn, Tully, JJ, and Lex Luger as the final four. And where Lex Luger ends up, he's not officially kicked out, but, but yeah, he's when, he, <laughs> he, when he was done with the horsemen and they they were all going to bail out so J.J. could win and Arn goes – well, Tully went over first. Arn goes out and Lex Luger changes his mind and says, I'm throwing J.J. out. And then all hell bro- broke loose. And that must have been one of the only Buckhouse Stampedes that Dusty didn't win. It – Different discussion for that, but you you remember watching, and when you see that in, not, what, late 87, early 88, that man is an immediate star, or should yeah. have been. Should have been. Um, and like, like you said, hindsight's always twenty twenty. And with Luger, we know what hurt him in the long run was his attitude. Um, it later. Later. I mean, but told from the beginning, oh, you're a star, you're a star, you're a star. And there's a lot of stuff he didn't learn because some of his basic moves just looked horrible. You know, he would try to do a drop kick, and it would almost look like, you know, you would take – because I know you had wrestling figures. Because so did I. Yeah. And, and you would make your figures do a drop kick. Well, that's kind of what what Luger's drop kick looked like. Just but Lex, real stiff. Lex Luger should not have thrown a drop kick. Oh, I agree. I mean, somebody with that many muscles. But then again, neither should Paul White. You know, all seven foot four yep. of him doing drop kicks. Yeah, you know, but good. Should not Lex Luger. And here's his move set: punch, kick. Clothesline, a tremendous power slam, which was always the setup for the torture rack. And about they didn't throw him in the torture rack. And, and I think rebooking and thinking about Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, you lose Magnum TA, and you lose your the guy you've built up. And Lex Luger could have been their star. And Ric Flair, for whatever reason, and, and if you go through the, the magazines or the old after dirt sheets, Ric Flair did not want to put Lex Luger over. 
Um, I think he said, and this was actually on one of the other, one of Conrad's podcasts here recently, he said that he did not think Luger was ready for it. And they missed the chance to capitalize on the star. Maybe. This is one thing I can kind of agree with Flair because um, Luger, yeah, he was the star and he was rising. How long would he have stayed up there? Well, there's the thing. What happened there is in later years after the sale, our – may have been the cause of the sale, depending on your Flair history. Ric Flair never put Lex Luger over and never made the next star. Uh, Well, he put Sting over. He put Sting over. But that was what, 1990? Yes. Um, Well, Flair Flair was also willing he put Steamboat over. Of course, Steamboat you know, Steamboat wasn't the rising star. Steamboat, by the time Flair, um, well, Flair put him over for other titles earlier in both their careers. But when he put him over for their world title and their uh, that series where they had those three matches that are all three considered classics, um, he didn't have an issue with putting Steve. Well, actually, you know what? I just not thought I said that's that's when it became WCW. But I mean, it's still, he put he would put Steamboat over. Um, yeah, but you're right. Yeah, he did not want to put Lex over. I think he wanted Barry Windham because Flair's actually always said Barry Windham to him is one of the greatest wrestlers ever. No, tre- tremendous wrestler and the best wrestling group of the Horsemen. Yep. Um, oh, I agree. That's my it's and, at least it's my favorite. Transitioning, um, one of my favorite matches ever came from Clash of Champions one. When Barry Wind Lex Luger had been kicked out of the Horsemen, needed a tag team partner, went to Barry Windham and they beat Arn and Tully in the middle of the ring for the world titles. Um, like to see the crowd, you talk about how over Lex Luger could have been. You see the crowd when they won the t- tag team titles. You know, just kind of hit on something. Maybe they could have put Luger um, as a tag team specialist because, you know, he needed to bury Wyndham to help get him over. I think I, I, I think he was already over. Oh, just and, to, go, get him, to help him stay over. And, and we can criticize certain things about Ric Flair here in another episode, but – Ric Flair did not put over Lex Luger. They had a lot of uh, poor finishes. They main evented three pay-per-views in a row, which we watched in my house. Um, Didn't put over Scott Steiner in later years. Could have put over Rick Steiner. And just imagine the landscape, how it changes. In 1987, he puts over Ronnie Garvin. And that really hurt. Um, it hurt the territory because I, when Garvin beat him, I was shocked. I mean, and I, I, I liked Ronnie Garvin. Um, I was like, okay, you know, I can see Ronnie Garvin holding the title somewhat. Um, you know, hands of stone. I mean, he... He 
you know, he was just punching people, boom, knocking them out dead. I mean, it was very legit. But when they showed Garmin beating him, doing that sunset flip off the top rope, pinning him, um, now he's title holder. Well, they said, okay, well, they're going to have a rematch at Starcade. And they said then, and Garvin's not going to wrestle another match until then. But they've had some of the other podcasts that said, well, Ronnie actually did wrestle some matches. He did put the title up on house shows. Yeah, but they they didn't always advertise the results of house shows on the actual uh, television shows, unless there was a title change or unless something major happened. You right. know, like somebody got hurt or, you know, if there was a, a turn, you know, somebody did a face to heel or heel to face turn and it made him, it made it look bad. It made Garvin look weak. And a lot of people didn't exactly um, jump up and down for joy when he won the title anyway. And so then they had their rematch in Chicago. So ch- change that because uh, W Mid Atlantic Jim Crockett it gets sold in what was it eighty 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 nine eighty eight eighty nine late late eighty eight it changed that because who would you put in their, his place at that time Nikita was there um, well Nikita's don't know. wife had just died ah. Okay, I, that's actually something I had. It slipped my mind, and I feel a little bad about that. Um, I'd have so to look he, at the roster because, well, they didn't have to have Flair chasing the title anyway, Starcade. They could have had somebody else chasing Flair, but but I think that's what the question is anyway: is who could have uh, chased Flair? Because in '88 was Dusty. I think he was in. He was up in Connecticut at the time. Yeah, Dusty was on his way north because of his bleeding angle on on TV. Yes. Um, yeah, Ted didn't like that very much. Uh, so, why not Rick Steiner? Oh, Rick Steiner was green. He was very green at the time. But believable. Yeah. And he had the varsity club where there could have been he did. shenanigans. Uh, actually, you know who else is in the varsity club? And a lot of people sleep on this guy, Mike Rotunda. I would have put the word, I would I would have put the title on Rotunda in a heartbeat. Mike Rotunda had the charisma of a wet blanket. That's true, but so does Brock Lesnar, and you love him. No, Brock Lesnar, dancing Brock Lesnar, our <laughs> beatbox Brock Lesnar has more, has more charisma than Von Garvin. <laughs> and Mike well, Rotunda. But Mike Rotunda, well, Rotunda was also a heel at the time, and the, and JCP was not big on putting heel versus heel or but face versus face. Rick Steiner was starting to break away from the varsity club, had the the fan fan support. If you're not going to, because uh, 87, you had Luger losing the world title, uh, the U.S. title to Dusty, which started to break from the horsemen because of the GG interference. You don't really have anyone on the undercard. Uh, Nikita is a television champion. 
Um, but someone, because Sting was Clash One, and he made Sting in the in the draw, but Stark eighty seven killed the territory. Right now, I just put up Wikipedia, and I'm looking at the Varsity Club because there is a name that I'm thinking of, but it depended on when he joined. Oh, well, he was a face at the time, so yeah, Steve Williams, Dr. Death. Dr. Death would have been another man, and this goes to Mid-Atlantic's ultimate failure. What, What do you think... They their ultimate failure was well, wrestlers wise, not using Steve Williams could have been part of it, but then again, he left to go to Japan again because he was huge in Japan. I mean, he loved Japan, they loved him. When Vince started taking over the rest of the country, when he started buying up the territories, and he had um, he had not bankrupted AWA yet, but I mean, they were on their way. Um, and World Class and USWA or Mid Southern out of Memphis, they had not uh, combined yet. And of course, they did that combination with AWA, and they still folded. And Bill Watts, Bill Watts actually had a good vision because he said, "Okay, we're calling ourselves Mid South, calling it UWF, a Universal Wrestling Federation that that doesn't make it localized. That makes it, of course, universal, makes it bigger. Um, but they still were losing money." Jim Crockett bought him. Jim Crockett should have stayed his butt in Charlotte and just ran it from Charlotte instead of spending all that money. Okay, let's move to Dallas. He was Bill Watts' office. Well, Bill Watts wasn't successful there. What makes you think you're going to be successful there? And by the way, why are you moving all the um, why are you moving all the big cards just for no reason up to Chicago when you don't really have a market established there? They did have a market in Cincinnati. Up in those areas in West Virginia, and those those areas in in Virginia, and of course Maryland, um, but he tried to expand too fast, and he was trying to outrace Vince, and he didn't have Vince's money, and of course all Vince was concerned with was the wrestling organization. He wasn't also concerned with having okay, we also have a baseball team, okay, we also have this other uh, venture that we're working on. If Jim Crockett would have managed his finances better. Maybe Mid Atlantic, you know, and of course they would have had to change their name at some point um, because I mean everybody referred to them as also as Jim Crockett Promotions, but they would have had to, you know, it probably would have eventually became World Championship Wrestling because they were already airing on TBS anyway, and he may not have had to sell sell the Ted. Ted may have offered to buy it, um, but I think just Jim Crockett spending too much money and then that's what ended up killing you know his own promotion the one that his dad had created back in 1931 I'll go partially with that and I think I'm going to disagree with you here one thing synonymous with mid-Atlantic wrestling and when we started watching in the 80s is Dusty Rhodes went over everybody. Yes. And I would argue that Dusty booking, while great at some points, 
the dusty finish killed Jim Crockett promotions. I think it definitely how, contributed. How many times I remember Lex Luger and Ric Flair at the Great American Bash or one of those events, and Luger's got him in the torture rack and he's bleeding. And the referees stopped the match for blood. And it was in Baltimore, which is why it comes to my mind. But they stopped the match and said Flair won because the commission stopped it. Eh. Are promising things and just not delivering on them. But I think Tully Blanchard said it best in 1988 when they left and went to the WWF. When are the horsemen going to beat Dusty Rhodes? They broke his leg in the awesome home video in the car and created the Hard Times promo. But Dusty Rhodes beat Tully. Arn beat, beat him in tag teams. Won the Crockett Cup. He beat Luger for the U.S. title. Did you see the text I just sent to you? No. Dustin well, Rhodes uh, beat let me, just, let me just stop you. At some point, the call hung up. Oh, no. Because I'm looking right now. In fact, let me... Try to add this, I'm, and apparently nobody else is listening because hopefully they would have let me know. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, let me see if I can if I add the call again. What happens? It's not good because we had a, a good hour of content. I need to be able to stay up for another hour. I could get up and go to work. Hi. Okay, and it says I'm already logged in. But you're the only call that I have on here. So much of that, we may have to redo this one. Um, I don't know. What are you doing tomorrow night? Uh, training at seven. Training at seven, so you will be definitely be done by eight thirty then. We got to get a uh, format. Yep, this gives us some time. Um, okay, I may have to get an outline. I mean, I may end up having to um, sort of drive everything, uh, but we'll see. You know, make you know, make sure you before. That's what. Uh, crap. And I'm I'm just kind of flustered because I didn't notice that the call hung up. I'm uh, I'm asking you questions. You gotta return them. What, return the questions. Yeah, I'm asking yeah. you questions, and to to get a flow, I'm I'm not sure where to jump in. Uh, we'll figure it out. Um. But everything I've read said that this is our first time doing this. We're not expected to be perfect. Now we're going to try, but but we'll get it. I have confidence in both of us. Yeah, we'll just. I just got to make sure I pay attention to when we're on the air, when we're not on the air. And apparently nobody called anyway. So 
Um, you know, cause I, I did, I've had my laptop up the entire time and nobody popped up on the call list. See if I can so, Dang. Well, I may have to, uh, you know, I'll listen and see what all it caught. Um, and then I may end up having to, you know, if it didn't catch much, I'll have to delete it. But, you know, we'll do this the next time. We'll we'll stick on some Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, and I'll figure out where we stop because we have some pretty good conversations going. But I, I'm going to argue that Dusty Booking had passed him by Late '87, early '88. Oh, I certainly think he contributed. Not only that, but there were some issues even before that. There was some, there was some stuff I actually had written out in my notes that I was going to discuss. Um, there was actually some stuff that even you might not even know about when it comes to Dusty and his booking and disagreements and wrestlers leaving. Plural, not just one. It was plural. There was a, a few of them that left. Um, some were pretty well known. Some not so well known. So, but. <clears throat> All right, dude. Well, let me go ahead and um, uh, get off here yet. So next time, yeah, we'll just go ahead and stick on Mid-Atlantic, you think? Yeah, just um, – Now I'm getting 90 seconds left, so you know what? Maybe we are still on. Well, that – you're going to have to edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> Is that uh, two dudes having a conversation? <laughs> but – well, yeah, we criticize the, our own podcast. That's what we do. But go, going through, definitely need um, a, a flow in. I are going, and you probably don't know where I'm going because uh, our memories are different. So I'm going to do the same thing and actually pull up my laptop and because I know the boogie woogie man and certain things you're mentioning, but my time periods are just not in my head. Oh, the boogie woogie man. Um, yeah, but you ought to look, he's a WWE hall of famer, because, but he went in as handsome Jimmy Valiant. But so Ronnie Garvin was the terrible champion. Mike Rotunda would have been a t- terrible champion. All right, dude, that's that's our cue. Ten seconds, so I will. We'll, I'll hit you up tomorrow to figure out a good time, dude. All right. All right. Talk to you All later. Right. All right. See Bye. ya.